Good evening. It's good to see everybody here. Um, if you're new or maybe you're new on, online, my name is Sean. I'm one of the associate pastors here. Um, this is like a really interesting moment for me because I'm not scared of y'all, but my mama is here. <laughs> and, um, you know, there's some nerves that get churned up and you want her to say, well done, son. And so hopefully things will go well. Um, but um, as H.B. said, we are in a serious series um, where we are talking about spiritual battles. Um, and, and I had a thought as I was preparing for tonight um, that often, you know, media and things of that nature have kind of shaped the way that I might think of a battle. And so, like, I'm kind of into the action movies. And so, like, I'll think of something like 300 or Gal. Or, or gladiator where there's like hand-to-hand combat and, and, you know, the sweat and stuff like that, and you're fighting back and forth. Um, but one of the things that I realize is that these battles that we have, they don't come across in that fashion. Like when we talk about anger, or we talk about lust, from the front me talking to you and then maybe how we may imagine it in our minds at times, it's... Yeah, if I, if I see that, I'm going to stop that. But if it comes in a little bit more slyly. It comes in in your own voice. It, it is a lot more attractive when it's coming from that inner voice than it is when you hear it externally and you hear me talking about it. In particular, when I'm reading Jesus' words saying, hey, if you don't stop that, you could go to hell. Like that, that really kind of puts a, a different spin on whatever that sin is. And it doesn't come at you the same way. And I think tonight's word, as we look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 27, which I'm saying is spiritual battles, self-deception. Spiritual battles, self-deception. We're going to be looking at this because I think my first point will be that we're going to see the profile of the self-deceived. The profile of the self-deceived. And then I want to talk about what it means to live in the gray area, kind of in this space where I'm living close to God, but maybe I did a little something over here I shouldn't have, but I'm sure he'll forgive me, like living in that space. And then how do we fight self-deception? I think my final point will be about um, the authority of God, submitting to the authority of Christ, entrusting ourselves to him. And so my three points, I'm getting it out in front because I did not send it to the AV team, so it, I, I dropped the ball on that. Um, it is the profile of the self-deceived, living in the gray areas, my second major point, and finally submitting to his authority. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 27, um, as we begin to kind of jump into this passage. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man 
who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for an opportunity to serve you in this capacity. Um, Certainly no one wants to just hear from me. They want to hear from you. And so I ask, Lord God, that you will use me as a tool to communicate your message to your people, that you will open up all of our ears and our hearts to receive the incorruptible seed of your word. Um, We ask, Lord God, that you will help continue the process of sanctification in our lives by changing us, by helping us to hear well, and thus we can live out that which you are teaching. Um, So I ask once again, Daddy, that you will use me in the name of Jesus. Amen. One of the things that we got to remember as we kind of come to the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, that it is a sermon or it is a discourse. It's not kind of like um, Proverbs where you can kind of come in and you can find self-contained ideas in short amounts of passages. We have to remember that it started in chapter 5 and is concluding here in chapter 7. And what Jesus did in, in the beginning of it is he helped us to understand who is admitted into the kingdom of God. And so he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. And is it that starting point that the crowd, the disciples, the apprentices who are there on the mountainside with him who are listening, they are opened up because the society had told many of them that they weren't accepted by God because they didn't have the right amount of resources or weren't born in the right family or did not follow the law in the way that they should have meticulously making sure that they followed everything that the Pharisees and the scribes, the teachers of the law, had really presented to them. And so as we go back and we think about that setting and and then Jesus talking about he came to fulfill the law, so he wasn't removing anything from the law, the standard wasn't being lowered. In fact, he, went, he further discusses at the end of chapter 5, the, the, the lion's share of chapter 5, going into 6, um, beginning of 7, where he is comparing and contrasting what the Pharisees would talk, teach, what the, what the law teachers were giving to the people at the time versus what he would say. And he was helping them to see the full extent of what God the Father intended for the people to hear when they heard the word. And so as we're coming into this kind of landing of the sermon, it, it really kind of starts at verse 13, where Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Just one quick comment about that. The, the wide gate or the, the wide pathway that is crowded is not so much just because of the hedonist kind of proclivities we have for just for pleasure. The wide path allows for everybody to do it their own way. And as we look at verse 21, or as you keep going down, you see the false prophets, the, 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 the wolves in sheep's clothing, what, you begin to, what Jesus begins to paint is a picture of those who have an appearance of looking a certain kind of way, but they're really not for Jesus. They're not really, they don't really have a relationship with him. And so as you, as you conceptualize this wide path, this, this way of many people going, I hope that you will capture this profile of the self-deceived person as being on that wide path. Because often what happens is we think that they are on the narrow path because of the way that they're living. 
Let's take a look. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You know, this is this this kind of start of it, this Jesus coming out of talking about you will know who false prophets are by their fruits and and kind of this idea. Um, you, you, you begin to wonder, like, what what? What are some of the identifying markers and the self-deceived person, what we have to acknowledge in verse 21. And then it's said again in verse 22 and even more explicitly, Jesus says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? We see a kind of doctrinal position that these folks seem to have. There seems to be some type of profession, at the very least, where they recognize Jesus as being master. That they say, Lord, Lord. When they see him, when they're confronted with him. Jesus here referring to the day of judgment. It's on that day where we face the Lord and and our works. If you're a lamb or a sheep, you're going to be separated. On that day, there are going to be people who recognize that Jesus is master. Self-deceived, the the profile of the self-deceived, their doctrinal statement seems to be correct. Second thing that we see in these two verses is that they are spiritually active. They cast out demons in the name of Jesus. They prophesied in the name of Jesus. They did many mighty works in the name of Jesus. So this person, these people who are self-deceived, they have some work, some religious activity in their life that seems to have been some fruit where they've, they've on, in some way, they felt like God was validating what they were doing. Thus, they're kind of bringing it back to Jesus's remembrance on this day of judgment. And the final piece of this profile, if you will jump down to verse 26 and 27 And everyone who hears these words of mine and excuse me, 24, uh, yeah, well, 26, yes. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built this house on the sand. What I really want you to see there is that they've built their life. As Jesus uses that parable in verses 24 through 27 um, about the two different houses, the imagery that naturally comes to my mind um, in, in particular because Jesus says that therefore, so like in, because of everything I else said there, here, I'm going to give you this piece is that these two houses look the same. And so the, the profile that I'm trying to help you to see of the self-deceived is that they will look like a Christian. They may look like the real thing. Back when I was a kid, there was a, a movie um, some of you may have seen it. Maybe you saw the second one that came out. It was called Coming to America. American classic comedy movie. Now, if you got sensitive ears, you may not want to listen to that or watch that. But the thing was, is that when um, Hakeem, Eddie Murphy's um, character, um, when he got to the U.S., he had to get a job because he wanted to look common. He, he was a prince. He was out looking for um, his future queen. And, and, and so he wanted to get a job in Queens, New York, because he figured that would be a good place to find a queen. And um, he just wanted to get a common job so he could mingle in. He didn't want his princely pleasures to kind of jade anybody's opinion of him. And he took a job at a fast food restaurant called McDowell's. 
And one of the funniest scenes in there is that you see a guy run up to, 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 to the store and he's taking pictures. And, and the owner, as he's taking Hakeem around, he, he's like, man, get out of here, get out of here. And he, he, he says, look, they're, they're from McDonald's. And they think that I've kind of copied them and stole what they have. And then he goes on to explain that McDowell's doesn't have the golden arches. It has the golden arcs. And there's a difference in their type of, you know, the Big Mac. They got the Big Mick. It's, 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 it's really funny. You got, you got to watch it. But that's why I kind of imagine this scene here when I think of the self-deceived person who is willing to stand in front of Jesus as if they're the real thing. Is that you're really McDowell's charading as a McDonald's and using McDonald's as a way of kind of bringing glory to yourself. Because, I mean, you know, they don't go into it in the movie. It's just a little bit. But, you know, I let my imagination go some. And I think that, you know, it's probably people who really wanted McDonald's and showed up at McDowell's. So you have this kind of self-deception, this person, this profile of someone who maybe at the right time God decided that he was going to heal um, Pastor Mark or Pastor June or someone. And you know what? They pray for him and it happened. Oh, man. You know, Scripture teaches us that gifts are given without repentance. And maybe there's been some gifts that have been given um, and they're still operating in them. But there's something that defines them in in this complete profile of the self-deceived that we cannot miss. And I've said it. I've read it. But what does Jesus say in verse 21? Um, Those many, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. So he's saying just because you have doctrinal correctness doesn't make you get in. Verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy, cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works? Verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You know, as a, as a minister of the gospel, this is kind of like a, a, a scary set of scriptures because it's like, <clears throat> you know, I, I don't. I don't want to be doing the right thing and then find out that I've been faking the funk the whole time. Like, I, 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 want, to, I want to live really for him. <clears throat> but what makes me confident is what Jesus based it on was relationship. He based it on relationship for those who would enter in, not on your ability to live it all out, though you should be. If you love him, you will be obedient. It's about relationship. I had an opportunity to talk to a close friend of mine, and um, he had made a comment as we were just kind of talking about this scripture. And he said, you know, I had a best friend, like one of the best friends of my life when I was in kindergarten. But I haven't seen him, and I'm pretty sure he would not consider me to be a good friend of his any longer. And what self-deception does, what, it, what, what, what these people have found themselves in, what the danger is for us, where the battle is for us, is do we begin to drift away from an intimacy with Jesus? One thing that Jesus says in the parable of the sowers, 
that I think would be really good for us. He says in, in Matthew 13, verses 22 through 24, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. You know, there is a way that we can come in to the faith and we are excited. I remember I was probably 12, 13. My mom makes fun of me. She said all of the kids in the church were were deciding to get saved, and I got up, and I was crying, and she said, you thought you were so sincere, and I really did, so much so that I was living on that moment when I got to college. If you would have asked me, I would have said, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I know he died on the cross, rose from the dead on the third day, and scripture says if I confess with my mouth and believe with my heart, then I'm saved. Hey, brother, I'm good. Where's the party at, though? Like, let's... (laughs) I like to call myself a Christian atheist when I was in college because I was living on the moment and experiencing the emotion that I had. But little did I know that somewhere along the line, maybe I didn't get something that I wanted. Maybe it was um, just kind of deceitfulness of what I was watching on TV and what I wanted to become, the desire to be popular with the kids. I I can recall like in the eighth, ninth grade deciding that I was going to start cussing because that's what everybody else on the basketball team was doing and I was tired of them making fun of me. Maybe it was then when, when these other cares began to choke out that experience that I had. And like my friend with his kindergarten best friend, I had really drifted away from something that wasn't as authentic, as rich as I really thought it was. And that kind of leads me to this idea of the gray area. See, I I believe that what Jesus is profiled and helping us to see is that we can be in a battle that comes in a little more subtle. You, you, You know, I know, Pastor Mark, you're saying that I'm supposed to forgive but you don't know what they did to me. And the pain, the deep-seated pain that you feel, you allow to become the one that sits on the throne. And you move Jesus off of it. It's, it's, it's not that bad. I mean, other people can understand. Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe it's As HB was talking about, God is calling me to go on a missions trip and the money isn't coming in the way that it should. Maybe I start getting upset with God because of that. I can recall when my father died. I've shared that before. I was very, very disappointed with God because Scripture said if you lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. Why didn't it happen? Temptation is, the battle is, do you place yourself as the real authority in your life? And I call it living in the gray area because as long as things are good, as long as you're not touching my sore points, as long as you're not attacking my idols, Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But there are some spaces that I may want to hold on to. 
And it's self-deception because I don't consciously do it, right? Like it's, I really believe that I love Jesus. I do some marital counseling every now and then, and I find that men, I, I really love her. Dog, you're sleeping with other, what are you, what are you, how can you say you love her? He really believes it. He's really self-deceived. Jeremiah warns us in Jeremiah 17, he says, the heart is deceptively wicked. And so we hear things in, in the epistle, Paul talks about not, he doesn't care if a man judges him. In fact, he doesn't even judge himself because he, relate, he gives that over to the Holy Spirit because he recognizes that there's nothing good in him. When you live in the gray, you might do a little dirt, but I'm going to make up for it because I'm going to give the grace loves. I might step out here, but I'm going to get my wife right by getting her a new coach bag or something. Just this one last time, I'm going to kind of um, falsify my tax documents. But then after that, God, I promise you, I won't do it again. One constant refrain you hear is God knows my heart. God knows my heart. And it's in self-deception that we deceive ourselves into believing we serve a God who's really built in the image that we have designed for him to have. We have examples throughout scripture where men didn't approach God in the right way. Maybe they offered up the wrong incense and they paid a heavy price. Because our God is an all-consuming fire. Mountains melt like wax in his presence. Angels cover their faces and their feet and they scream and shake the foundations that he is holy, holy, holy. Our God is not one that is made in our mind. And the danger of living in the gray zone is that you will design a God to be how you want him to be, not as he has revealed himself in scripture. And we think about this Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talks about prayer. How many of us feel like it's a sin not to pray? He talks about not judging. How often, when tempted on TV, do you make the judgment? I'm not saying rightfully deciding, the, seeing the fruit of people's lives, but where you change it into motivation, motivational things. Not just that it's wrong, but they intended this or intended that without really knowing. How often do we justify being anxious and don't even repent of it? Because I didn't know where the money was going to come from. God's got to understand that. If we can kind of, not like the gladiator, the 300 movie where you see the enemy and you're out there, you're fighting and sweat is coming. It is subtle. And it's easy to come into agreement with. It is very easy. I know that I found myself. I was telling my mother for years, I was saved, I was saved. It wasn't until February 2002, possibly 20 years after my mother was in the military, we stayed in Alaska. From, from the time that we lived in Alaska, did I really have an encounter with the Most High God? Man, I believed that I was saved. 
I believed it. But I thank God that I'm not standing before him trying to tell him, God, don't you remember back when I was at First Church of God in Christ in Fairbanks, Alaska? Because that's indicative of me not knowing him and him not knowing me. Because I want to talk about a moment. But what Jesus wants is a relationship. And so when we look at verses 24 through 27, 24 and 25, Jesus is talking about building a life. On him, on him as the rock. This is where the real fight is. This is how we fight against self-deception. Is that we build our lives on the word of God. I don't often go to the message Bible in particular when I'm preaching, but I think (laughs) I really like the way that it's presented here. Um, Verses 26, I said 24 and 25. Um, Yeah, verses 24 and 25. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, this is Bible. I just want y'all to know that I'm, I'm reading from the message. Bible. You are like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. What is the, the heart disposition of the person who's trying to, professed to Jesus that, hey, I laid hands on the sick and they recovered. What do you mean I don't get in? Is it like the five unwise virgins who had to go out to get some more oil for their lamps and when they finally get to the door, it's closed on them? We don't want to be in that space. We do not want to be in that space. So the greatest defense that we have to self-deception is falling under the authority of Jesus. That we approach our walk with him like the psalmist in chapter 139. And talking to God, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me. In the way everlasting. Our greatest fight, our greatest weapon against self-deception is remembering what Jesus talked about at the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount. That I'm spiritually bankrupt. That I don't bring anything to the table of any kind of merit that gives me the right to make it in to the kingdom of heaven. But that I'm totally dependent on Jesus. Not my ability to follow the law. Not on my doctrinal correctness. And these are good things when used the right way. I'm not depending on that. I'm not depending on the times where I've seen God move supernaturally because I've prayed. Or, you know, it wasn't because I prayed. It was because God decided to do it. But I was there praying when it happened. I'm I'm not banking on that. 
The self-deceived person banks on that because they know that they're living in a gray area. We can't play games with God. You know, I, I probably can fool some of you guys. You don't live close enough to see the fruit of my life and come up here and say the right things. But I'm going to answer to a God who sees it all and knows it all. And the self-deceived, as we see in this passage, they be stand before God Almighty, not even recognizing that he would know. That he really does know. Now, what, what may be a temptation is to get a sense of, like, man, I reject that. I'm not, God doesn't want me to be afraid. I'm not trying to bring fear. But I am trying to help you to find the urgency to live a life that's in keeping with, with repentance. That you find yourself in a small group who is about the same thing. That, man, we want to live our lives in a way that honor and glorify God. And that I'm going to have some friends who are close enough to me to tell me about my blind spots. Because what Jesus did at the cross is worth that. What he was willing to sacrifice, the punishment he took on for me, it's worth it for me to lay down my life and follow him. And to find community of people who are doing the same thing. I want to build my life on the rock. And I want other people in my life who are going to help me to see that. And I can help them see it in their lives that we are building in that regard. And as we are a community of people who are intentionally building our lives on a rock, we become the light of the world. In this DMV area, we become more of a light, a city set on a hill that can be distinguished from the darkness of the world because we are intentionally building our lives on what Jesus has said. Now, the, the, the thing that my tone doesn't convey is that it's actually the abundant life. It's actually a better life, man. It's, it's not this oh, I don't get to do that no more, is no, I get to do this. I get to have this relationship. This is what I was designed for. The greatest joys I have is when God has given me a sense of his pleasure for me in something that I've done. I'm telling you, there is nothing greater than that on the planet. When God, who created you, who knows you, who's numbered the hairs on your head, is pleased with you. We often kind of talk about the cost of discipleship and how hard it is. And it's not easy. But, man, we don't talk about what they miss out on when they don't walk in discipleship. And that's the difference that we're talking about this evening. That is the battle that we are all in. The funny thing about that statement is if you say that you're not battling self-deception, you're probably being self-deceived. We have to submit to the authority of Christ in a fresh way. In a way that brings, when Jesus says that we should pray that God's name would be hallowed or holy or regarded as holy, 
that we actually do it. That when he says that you should pray for your daily bread, that daily we're going to him and asking him for what we need. I use prayer because we don't often think of that as one of the major things, right? Like, okay, I know I'm not supposed to be jealous. I can't commit adultery. Like, you 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 can dig that. But prayerlessness is an offense to a God who's given you access to the throne room. And we need to build our lives in that way. Proverbs 2 talks about the wisdom that if we go after, if we, we seek it as those who seek silver and gold, that wisdom comes from the mouth of God. The times that we're living in, gas prices crazy, we got inflation, there's wars going on. How do you navigate this world right now without the wisdom of God? I know I'm, I'm the pastor over prayer, so I'll, I'll, I'll kind of <laughs> cut it out. But we, 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 we have to invest in treating the words of Jesus as if he really is the author of life and submit to his direction. Submit to what he says is right. Forsaking those things that I learned in my family or I learned where I grew up at. When, when, when I find something that seems to go cross what Jesus says said, man, I got to choose Jesus. And if I can't do it immediately, I'm asking for help. You guys, most of you guys know that I got stabbed a couple of years ago. And one thing that I did, and I thank the Holy Spirit that he helped me to mature to a space, is I didn't believe I could forgive him on my own. So I immediately, when I got in the hospital, God, please help me to forgive this guy. I'm asking Jesus, because I've seen the thoughts and how I wanted to get revenge and things. God, please help me. You said if, if I don't forgive, then you won't forgive me. And I, I need you to forgive me for the things that I've done. Please help me. That was a part of the prayer in, in chapter 6 that Jesus lays out. You know, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. When we build our life on the rock, when storms come, and all these various things that will come that will try to get you to move onto the broad path. And you can stay firm on the narrow path. Because the narrow path is narrow because it's God's way only. It is his way only. It's full of grace. But don't think that you're going to bring some substitute God along for the ride. It's his way only. And so in these last few minutes... What I would like to do is pray that God will forgive us in those spaces where we have been deceived. So if you don't mind, let's bow our heads. Before I pray, if there's anyone here or maybe you're online and you haven't had an opportunity to give your life to Christ. Maybe you recognize yourself in the profile of the self-deceived. You want to come out of that space and enter into a genuine relationship with God. I want to give you an opportunity to do that now. So if there's anyone here in the building, please raise your hand to indicate that that you are one of those. See that hand. 
So we pray this prayer of repentance for, for the person, people who maybe you're at home and you've given your life to Christ. Jesus has called us into an intimate relationship with himself. So repentance is a part of that process. It's where we turn away from the way of thinking, the behavioral patterns that we have, and we want to align with Christ. Often it is a 180-degree turn. And so we're going to pray that prayer of repentance um, and give um, him the glory that he is deserving of. This is also an opportunity for for you to invite Christ into your heart if you don't know him um, and to enter into a more personal relationship. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your scriptures. I thank you that you are consistently working on us as a good father. And at times you need to bring course correction for us. And so I know that even as studying this word, that, that being the first partaker of this, that deception, self-deception is something that can creep in that we don't even recognize. Um, but you are good enough, Father, to help us to course correct, to get back in the right place. Please forgive us of those spaces where we have kind of fudged the lines. We've, we've kind of stayed in this gray space where I don't really need to do that. I don't have to be that, that it's not, doesn't take all of that type of attitude. Please forgive us of that. Help us to change and help us to see the glorious walk that comes from the abundant life that you offer to us. Certainly it's not the easiest, but it's far better than what the world offers. And I also thank you, Lord God, for those who have given their lives to you. They recognize that they want to accept the free gift of eternal life. May their lives be changed in this moment. And I pray that you'll help them to find community. In the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless.